0: Hello friends, Tom here from wherever you are tuning in. I want to welcome you. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, I just want to say before I get started that I am missing you all uh, more than you know. Uh, I feel like <clears throat> uh, just I, we're getting closer to one year of doing uh, kind of virtual church gatherings uh, and posting you know, sermons to YouTube and Worship Times and kind of doing them scattered in our homes, and for whatever reason today, I just feel, I don't know, I feel grief in my heart. I feel like a deep sense of longing to be with you in person, and um, yeah, this is less than ideal, but at the same time, I'm really grateful that uh, we have the opportunity to still engage um, in the rhythms and and the strategies that we have as a church to grow as disciples of Jesus who are learning to obey Him and enjoy Him and operate like Him in every single area of life, and this is one of those. The, the opening of the scriptures, <clears throat> the, the, the feasting on God's word together, even though we're apart. Um, but man, I miss you. I miss you dearly. I long to be together again. Update for you, the staff is still working really, really dil- diligently to try to secure a space for us for Sunday morning gatherings. Uh, we have a couple things we're exploring still and, and kind of waiting to hear back some information and so, as soon as we know more about the potential with those, we'll let you know. Uh, today, today we're going to be continuing in our series "Jesus Is," where we are exploring through the Gospel according to the Apostle John. Uh, the reason that we are continuing on this series is because we want to examine Jesus. Uh, we want to we want to we want to learn as much as we can about Jesus, about God in the flesh. Because we're convinced that what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing in our life. And John wrote this gospel account, this eyewitness account of the life, the death, the resurrection, the ministry of Jesus. He wrote it, he says, so that the reader would believe that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. So we want to examine Jesus and that's what we're doing. Now today, we're going to be in John chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that. Uh, here's what you need to know about John 17 uh, as you're turning there. This is one of the most amazing passages in the entire Bible. Okay, there are, <clears throat> there are examples of Jesus praying in the scriptures, and they're, all of them are wonderful. This is the longest. This is the most comprehensive, most thorough, most lengthy recorded prayer of Jesus's in the entire Bible and it is glorious, it is amazing, it is beautiful, it is wonderful, okay? Uh, it's known as the High Priestly Prayer, okay? This entire chapter 17 of John, the High Priestly Prayer, Jesus' Prayer. Now, there's a couple things, not a call things, there's a few things that I want you to be aware of before we actually jump into our passage today, okay? I want you to kind of be aware of the timeline, where this event sits, in the timeline of Jesus's life and his ministry, okay? So this prayer that we're about to go through today in John 17, it takes place right after Jesus tells his disciples what's going to happen to him and what's going to happen to them. If you've been journeying with us in this series, you know, he just got done telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to go. He says, it's better for me to go because I'm going to send the Spirit. And he also tells them not just that he's going to go and the Spirit's going to come, but he gives them a heads up. He gives them a warning that they're going to suffer. They're going to be scattered. okay? They're going to experience pain and trials and tribulations and suffering. But he also says this. He says, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid. Be courageous. I, Jesus, has overcome, has conquered the world. He's triumphant. <clears throat> okay? And then just hours after this prayer that we're going to read, Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends by Judas Iscariot. And then hours later, he's, you know the story, he's he's crucified the next morning. This is all within like a a day or so of Jesus's life being taken from him. Now, one of the many remarkable things about this prayer is the timing. Okay, I want you to see that. If Jesus' mission on the earth, right, God putting on flesh in the person of Jesus, coming to live the perfect life that you and I never could, and to die the death that we deserve for the ways that we reject God, the ways that we sin against him and against others, him absorbing that punishment on the cross, like his mission to come to do that, if his mission was like a race, okay, like an Olympic race around the track, what we're about to read today is like the final lap, okay? It It is crunch time, all right? Jesus, at this point, he's lived thirty-three years. All right, he's lived thirty-three perfect years, flawlessly obedient to God the Father in every single way, in every single moment. Think about that for a second. That's wild. Okay, I don't know about you. If you really examine your life, good luck lasting five minutes without sitting somewhere in your heart, pride elevating yourself above others, sometime five minutes. Jesus did it for thirty-three years, flawlessly obedient to the Father. Father. He perfectly fulfilled hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah from the Old Testament. He intentionally lived in, in such a way where he did every single one of those. He's accomplished every single prophecy about him. He, he went throughout... Uh, the Sea of Galilee and the regions around uh, Jerusalem, preaching the gospel. Gospel means good news. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, the the rule and the reign of God, that that sitting underneath underneath God's lordship is actually the best thing. It's a good thing. It's good news for people. The grace, the mercy of God. And he gathered his disciples, that he would teach them this good news that they would be ambassador ambassadors into the rest of the world after he ascended to the father after his crucifixion okay so he's done all this already <clears throat> not all of it but he, this is this is the, the, the mission right so he's 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 stepping forward in this mission if his life is the mission this is the final lap of that mission okay and he has one more thing to accomplish in this assignment one more thing it's the most intense It's it's, it's the climax of Jesus' entire life and mission. You know what it is. It's the cross. This prayer that we're going to read today, it takes place the day before the cross, the day before the climax, the most important moment of Jesus' life. For you, let's just personalize this just for a second before we jump in here. Can you identify for you the most climactic moment of your life, like like the most important moment of your life? Is it behind you? Is it already taken place? Is it, is it out in front of you? Is it ahead of you? How would you live if you knew it was coming, if you knew it was tomorrow? Jesus knows that his most important moment is about to arrive. So what does he do? He prays. Okay? In John 17, this high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for three things. Okay? We're going to cover each of these three three things in the next three weeks. Okay? We're going to do one of them today. The first one that he prays for, the first element of his prayer is he prays for himself. We're going to talk about that now. Uh, next week, he prays. For, we're going to cover that he, the, the second part of his prayer, where he prays for his disciples that are with him, that he's among. And then finally, a couple weeks from now, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this kind of mini series within our Jesus' series, going through this high priestly prayer. We're gonna wrap it up with the final thing that we see that Jesus prays for here in John 17. And remarkably, amazingly, what he prays for is he prays for you and he prays for me. Did you know that there's a place in the Bible where Jesus prays for our church? For you and for me. It's here. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks, okay? But today, this first portion of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, where he prays for himself, hours before his life is taken from him. So before we jump in, I just want to take a moment and pray for our time. So wherever you are tuning in from, would you join me? Let's pray. Father, I want to invite you and ask you to teach us through your spirit to show us more of yourself. Would you help me to bless and honor and serve anybody tuning into this? I don't want to to get in the way of what you want to accomplish. That is my deepest prayer because I want Jesus to be seen clearly for who he is and all of his glory. So would you help us and teach us right now? We love you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 17, verses one through five. Here we go. It says this, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, here comes the prayer. The Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I, Jesus, have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. This is Jesus's prayer for himself, okay? And in this prayer that we see, in these five verses, I wanna answer two questions, okay? The first question, what is Jesus asking for here? Okay, this is a petitionary prayer. What is he asking for? And the second thing, why is he asking for it, all right? What is Jesus asking for and why is he asking for it? Let's start with the first one. What is Jesus asking for? In verse one here, it says, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. What does that word mean? Glorify. What does it mean to glorify? Okay. Here's a working definition for you. To glorify is to bring attention to or to reveal the glory of something. Okay. Uh, Most mornings I will spend most of the time. If it's too cold, I won't go back there. But Most mornings I spend in my backyard. I make myself a cup of coffee, I put on the proper attire, and I go in the backyard, I bring my Bible, and I just spend time with God. I engage with Him through His Word. I spend time in silence and solitude and prayer. I'm with Him. And it really is, most of the time, it's the highlight of my day, it's wonderful. And in my backyard, uh, my wife Ebony, she's tried to kind of make it as, as comfortable and as lovely as we can. And, and one of the things that she did was she, uh, she installed some wind chimes. And hopefully you're familiar with wind chimes, but they're basically these, there's like six metal cylinders with this kind of metal plastic thing in the, in the middle of those. All right, and we, we, we hang it just above where we sit in my backyard. And they, you know, they look fine as decoration, as the way they look and everything. But the true glory of the wind chimes is not how they look as a decoration, okay? You see, what happens is is when the wind kicks up, it moves the the center kind of piece in between those six cylinders so that it starts to strike and bump into those cylinders. And every single one of those cylinders, when it's hit, it emits a sound, it emits a, a tone, it emits a note, all different. You see, it's the wind that reveals the true glory of the wind chimes. And it's not the way they look as a decoration. It's the music that they emit. You see, the wind, it glorifies the wind chimes. Okay, it reveals their true glory. That without the wind, you wouldn't experience the music. See, to glorify is to bring attention to or to reveal the glory of something, okay? Now listen, this implies something. This implies that glory can be and often is hidden, right? Or, or, or sometimes covered up. And if it, if it wasn't sometimes hidden, you wouldn't need to reveal it. It wouldn't need to be revealed. Now, if you, if you check out the census data in the Temecula Valley, you will find out that there are hundreds of thousands of people who are not following Jesus, just in the way that they felt their census data with their religion. Okay? Hundreds of thousands of people just in the Temecula Valley not following Jesus. Do you know why? Because they're blind to His glory. It hasn't been revealed to them. It's, it, it, they're blind to it. They don't see Him clearly. They don't see His glory. It's like they've heard about the wind chimes. They've maybe even seen the wind chimes hanging, but they haven't heard its music. They're blind to His glory. You see, because of a person, anyone, anyone, I don't care how messed up they are. I don't care how much they've sinned or been sinned against. If anyone encounters Jesus' glory, if they see how glorious He truly is, something happens to them. Something happens to them. It, you get captured by it. It, it's a, it. You get captured by it and it transforms you. It changes you. I mean, there's so many stories of this happening in the Bible. Were or were ordinary men and women. Some really broken. Some really messed up. Some really sinful. Where they encounter the glory of God and it transforms them. One of my favorite ones is the Apostle Paul. Okay, if you're familiar with the story, you know he was Saul, right? Basically a terrorist. Okay, he would he would persecute and even, even coordinate the murder of Christians. All right, so you have Saul, this terrorist who's persecuting and murdering Christians. And then one day, right, he's, he's um, in the, in the, on a mission of persecuting Christians and he's, he's on his way to this place called Damascus and he encounters the glory of God. Knocks him off of his horse even. He's blinded. Okay, he encounters the glory of God and it utterly transforms him. Turns him from a terrorist who murders Christians into the greatest Christian missionary of all time. It's remarkable. See, friends, when a person encounters God's glory, even the smallest little bit of it, when a person encounters God's glory, it changes them. And the reason why so much of the world is not following Jesus. It's because they're blind to his glory. And Jesus' request here, his petition in prayer, him, the, the prayer, the, the request that he's making to God the Father is that God's true glory would be revealed. It would be uncovered. But how? Verse 1, it tells us, it says, The hour has come. Did you catch it? The hour has come. Now, again, if you've been following along in this series or you've ever read the Gospel of John before, you know Jesus says this multiple times throughout this Gospel account. He talks about the hour, the hour, the hour, the hour, several times throughout John's Gospel. And every single time Jesus talks about the hour, he says, My hour has not yet come until now. Until now. Here he says, the hour has come. Whenever Jesus speaks about his hour, he's referring to the hour of his death, the moment when he's crucified. His hour. And listen to me, we're talking about the glory of Jesus, okay? The glory of God here. Jesus' life, it was glorious, it was incredible, it was amazing, okay? Again, we talked about his perfect obedience flawless obedience to the Father, okay? All the prophecies fulfilled, the way that he ministered to people, the way that countless times in the scriptures is as he saw her, or he saw him, and he looked at them with compassion, and then he ministered to them in power. All the miracles, I mean, giving sight to the blind and, and the deaf being able to hear. And, I mean, Jesus raises people from the dead these incredible miracles, these incredible signs that point to who he is, his glory, like his life was glorious, absolutely. As amazing and as glorious as Jesus' life was, the pinnacle of his glory is not revealed in his life. It's revealed in his hour. It's revealed in his death. The atonement for the sins of the world Jesus taking the punishment, take, taking on the punishment of sin onto himself, the, 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 the spotless lamb being sacrificed, the innocent one, the glorious one, absorbing the punishment that we deserve for the ways that we reject him through sin and the ways that we, that we dishonor him and, and, and disobey him by, by, by not loving others. It's sin. Jesus taking that upon himself. It's the most brilliant, it's the most beautiful and it's the most loving act in the history of the world. Okay, and hear me say this. There is nothing more glorious than God willingly laying down his life for his enemies, for the very people that reject him. Like me, like anybody watching this. The single most glorifying revealing the glory. The single most glorifying act that is the act that reveals what God is more is most like than any other act is the cross. It's the most telling. It's the most glory revealing. it's the most glorifying act ever. So I want you to see here friends, I want you to see what Jesus is asking for in his prayer. In the simplest terms, Jesus' prayer for himself, his request, is for his hour. Okay? He's asking for the cross. That answers our first question. Okay? What is he asking for in this prayer? He's asking for his hour. He's asking for the cross. Why? Because it glorifies God. It reveals how glorious God is. It reveals what God is like. Okay? That's the first thing. What is he asking for? The second question we want to answer: why is he asking for it? Okay? we know it's it's to reveal God's glory, yes, but like for what purpose? Why is he asking for it? Verse 2 and 3, it tells us, it says this: so that he may give, what does it say, eternal life to everyone, you, the you there is God the Father, to everyone that God the Father has given him. This is eternal life, Jesus says. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So friends, do you see what this is saying? Jesus, he's asking for his hour. Why? So that you can know God. Jesus says, to know God is eternal life. Now, that word eternal, uh, when, when you and I think of eternal, we think of duration of time, like forever, right? An unending amount of time, eternal time, eternal duration. That word uh, in the original Greek that's translated into English, eternal, it's the Greek word, aeonios. Okay? Aeonios. Now, <clears throat> Here's the thing about eonios. It it definitely involves this idea of duration of time, but it's more than that. Okay, I want to read you a quote here from a Bible commentator. He says this about this word that's translated eternal, the word eonios It says this, this word, Aeonios, has to do not so much with duration of life. Listen to this. For life which went on forever would not necessarily be beneficial, but with quality of life. Okay, so listen, if eternal life, if it only involved duration, like that could be awful. That could be terrible. Okay, imagine an unending life filled with terrible, awful things. That's not exciting to me. That sounds that sounds awful. Okay? This word in the Greek, it involves not only duration of time, it definitely involves duration of time, but it also involves Quality of time. So in other words, eternal life, this idea of, of, living, <laughs> of living your best life forever, duration of time, yes, living your best life forever, not just duration, but quality, that is knowing God. Knowing God is living your best life forever. That is eternal life. Let that sink in. Like I need you to hear this okay? Eternal life, according to Jesus, according to God himself, according to the scriptures, eternal life is knowing God. That isn't limited to after you die either. So this begs the question, what does it mean to know God? I'll close with answering this question. Knowing God. Listen, knowing God, it certainly involves like intellectual knowledge, okay? Knowing things about him, his attributes, what he has done, what he likes, uh, all these things that you can know intellectually about someone. Knowing things about God is important. And knowing God certainly involves intellectual knowledge, okay? But listen, it's more than that. As is often the case with the scriptures, Genesis chapter four verse one says this, I'm reading out of the ESV, it says this, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. You see the Old Testament, it, it regularly uses no for sexual knowledge. Uh, One Bible commentator says this about this idea of to know involves sexual knowledge. And the scripture says this, quote, The man, Adam, knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now the knowledge of husband and wife is the most intimate there can be. Husband and wife are no longer two. They are one flesh, The sexual act itself is not the important thing. The important thing is the intimacy of the heart and the mind and the soul, listen to this, which in true love precede the act. To know God is therefore not merely to have intellectual knowledge of Him, it is to have an intimate, personal relationship with Him, which is like the nearest and dearest relationship in life. He says, to know God, is to know what he is like and to be on the most intimate terms of friendship with him. Neither of these things is possible without Jesus Christ. Friends, are you beginning to understand what Jesus is praying for here? He wants you to know him the way a bride knows her husband. He wants to be known. And listen, so do you. So does everyone. It's the desire of every human heart to be fully known and loved. All the good, all the bad, fully known. Like spiritually naked uncovered, in the light, seen seen for all who, who we are, and still embraced and loved, even despite the imperfections. Everybody wants to be known. It's the desire of every human heart to be fully known and loved. Listen to me. Did you know, you cannot be loved by someone without first being known? Think about it. You can't have real love without real knowledge of the person. Because without that real knowledge, what you'd be loving isn't true. It isn't accurate. It's an imposter. You cannot be loved by someone without being first, being known. And listen, being known can be scary, right? Because it's vulnerable. What if the other person doesn't like what they see? Being known can be scary because it's vulnerable. You're exposed. You're uncovered. A person cannot truly be loved without being known. Listen to me, the same is true for God. God cannot truly be loved unless he's known. So here's, here's my question to you. Do you know God. Do you know him? I'm not asking if you know of him. I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm not asking if you know about wind chimes. I'm asking if you've heard their music. I'm asking if you've seen God's glory. I'm asking if you know him in the most intimate of ways, like a bride knows her husband. That is eternal life. And that is what Jesus is praying for. And there is no greater example. There is nothing past, present, future that will glorify, reveal glory, the true glory of God, like the cross of Jesus, his hour. Friends, Jesus is, right, with our series. Jesus is the praying high priest who is asking for the cross. Why? So you can know him in all of his glory. So you can know that God loves you with a passion that is unmatched by anything in the universe. Jesus wants you to know him and he gave everything for it. Can you think of anything, and I mean anything, more glorious than the love of God for you? I can't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in all of your glory. Thank you for the lengths that you've gone to to demonstrate your glory, who you are, what you've done, the lengths that you were willing to go to. Jesus, I just think of you, you, you praying and asking for your for the hour, for for your for the cross. It shows us how glorious you are. It shows us the depth. And love for your people so my prayer Holy Spirit is that you would awaken each one of us to your glory and as we behold your glory you the sacrificial lamb Jesus the God of the universe the creator of all things the king of every other king who lays down his life for the very ones who reject him so that they can know And be close to Him and intimate with Him in the closest way possible. There's none more glorious than you. No one even comes close to that. Nothing even comes close to that. So Holy Spirit, would you reveal the glory of God to us? Let it capture our hearts. Let it motivate our lives. And let let it bring us a joy that surpasses all of our understanding and all of the circumstances that we face day to day. I love you Jesus. I pray these things in your holy and beautiful name. Friends, what we're going to do now is I'm going to hand things off to the band and they're going to facilitate a time for us to praise God. Okay, to lift our voices to him. To praise Him with our body, to praise Him with our mind, to praise Him with our mouth, our soul, all of our being. Because He's worthy. He's glorious. Grace and peace to you. I love you dearly. Enjoy Him.